Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, for those of you guys who are tuning in for the first time, we actually started this group back in early 2020, kind of in response to COVID. Uh, you know, that we there was not a lot of people getting out there and, and a lot of people started going virtually. And so, you know, I figured why not create a platform where people can get together on a bi-monthly basis to learn about the various facets of commercial real estate. And ever since then, we've had speakers come from all across the nation to talk about a variety of different subjects. And today, uh, we have the honor of hosting Nick Terry. Uh, Nick actually was on a podcast that I run as well. It provided so much great insight that I thought, why not have him on for the uh, the meetup as well uh, to talk a little bit about what he does on the office side. And he also is deals a lot in the industrial sector. He is located in Houston, Texas. Um, so, you know, we're going to kind of play off a little bit of those two. But really, uh, we're really interested in hearing, uh, you know, the office uh, experiences and insights that he has as well. So, Nick, welcome. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I kind of gave the the group a little bit of a high level overview of, you know, who you are. But if you don't mind kind of telling us a little bit about yourself, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, been in the business better part of a decade. Uh, I started on the construction side and uh, real quickly realized, in my opinion, I was on the wrong end of the supply chain. Uh, and so I went went over to the demand driving side um, into brokerage, um, started at, you know, kind of a boutique regional firm here, went up, did the big global brand thing for a little bit. And then in 2020, I uh, stepped out and launched a rifle on my own. Um, and now we've kind of grown the team a little bit and we're doing doing all the things we've got, you know, investment, uh, doing, had a development meeting this morning. Um, but still brokerage, uh, kind of primarily is what pays the bills. I started on the tenant rep side since then during the pandemic, when we launched the company, we pivoted into doing a lot with owners, um, everybody from up to Brookfield properties on the institutional side to small mom and pops that are doing their first, um, investment deal and want some, some guidance and how to lease it up and, and manage it well. So, uh, yeah, that's us in a nutshell. Awesome. Yeah. And, and and I know you mentioned on our podcast previously, but you came from, like you said, uh, a different background, but it was related to the heavy, heavy power. Like I remember you were mentioning, was it electrical, was it contracting? I can't remember the exact. Uh, yeah, that's industry. right. No, I worked for, I worked for Square D. So I was on the electrical commercial construction side. So we were, we were doing kind of the switch here. I literally toured a building yesterday that I was like, fun fact about this building. I sold the bus duck that went in here. Like I was mm. here when it was getting developed. So I, you know, I know it better than the listing agent. I've literally crawled around all the closets and stuff. Um, so it was kind of funny, but yeah, uh, it's great, great gig, big corporate company. Learned, learned a lot of things I liked, uh, just realized big, big company life isn't for me. Uh, but it was fun. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I'm sure it provided you with a lot of great insights that you now apply into your brokerage uh, side as well. So oh, that's I'm right. Sure for it, sure. I'm sure it served you extremely well. So one of the comments, one of the things that I wanted to touch on is obviously we're, we're the, the purpose of this, uh, meetup is pertaining to the office side or the office property type. And so there, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you do work on the, on the tenant rep side quite a bit. So one of the things that I was kind of curious about, um, you know, as you start working with, you know, these, these office tenants, uh, what are some of the common pitfalls that you see that these individuals face as they're going through the process of trying to secure space for their needs? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the biggest thing on the tenant rep side is, and I'm a little bit biased uh, as a broker, but not having good representation. Um, I think that'd be the first one any broker would say, but really uh, there's no reason not to, right? Um, the fees are already baked into the deal. The owners typically aren't going to give you, you know, here in the Houston market, we get 4% on the tenant rep side of the gross rent. 
you're not going to get that sort of a concession off the rent just if you try and represent yourself. So it's not like there's a big savings to have. Usually the landlord's rep just take a bigger chunk of the fee and you're not represented. Um, so, you know, having competent representation fixes a number of those issues. But number two would be um, focusing too much on just the economics. Base rent, free rent, all that sort of stuff. That's important for the deal for sure. That drives a lot of the initial discussions. But uh, having, you know, not getting hammered on a sublease clause. You know, there's so many times we, we help somebody do a disposition requirement on space and we'll come in and look at the sublease and, you know, it's got a $1,500 landlord review fee and they have 600 or 60 days to approve the deal. And, you know, all these minutia that actually matters and cost you money at some point. Um, but you just don't, you know, you didn't spend any time reading that clause. Um, so a well-negotiated lease document outside of just the basic economic terms uh, would be the second thing I'd focus on. And then third is just getting enamored with amenities you're not going to use. Uh, you know, we sit in these meetings, we'll hear people like, we have to have a gym, we have to have a conference center, we have to have all this sort of stuff. And then two, three years into their deal, you just kind of check back or even ask the landlord, like, hey, are they using any of that stuff? I'm like, no, not a single time. So they're paying for it, but they're not using it. Have you seen that be pretty common as of late now that you've with COVID and everything has that shit, has that desire or that, that, uh, you know, you know, the, 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 the their profile, as far as what the perfect space looks like, has that shifted at all? Uh, a little bit. You're starting to see fewer, you know, we're doing a deal right now where there's fewer assigned desks, mm -hmm. um, pushing more, it, you know, it, it didn't change anything massively. It just accelerated. I think people were moving that way anyway, long, but you know, the hoteling, sort of model that's been going on for a while, um, just accelerated it. And you see that the hybrid work rooms, we only have to be in the office two, three days a week. There's no point in having a private dedicated space just for you. Yeah, I know that. And that, that, that's, that's a great point. And, and you're, we're seeing it here in our local market where a lot of our, our downtown area has been, you know, kind of losing a lot of office presence even before the pandemic, but it kind of got accelerated through that. And, you know, Humana is a big employer here in Louisville and, you know, they had planned to kind of reduce their footprint downtown, but with COVID and everyone working from home, they've started to really offload uh, their, their, uh, you know, their, their office presence downtown. But we've seen a lot more of uh, a shift towards the east end of the city. I don't know if that's maybe something similar that you're seeing in your market where, you know, there used to be historically, this was kind of the area that people wanted to be in or, or this type of property was the type that wanted to be in. And now it's kind of shifted. Uh, to like more satellite, like how, how, I guess, how does that look on, in your market currently? Yeah. So you're, you are seeing kind of hub and spoke models, even on the office side where there's, you know, we've got talent that's spread out. Our sprawl is terrible. Um, mm -hmm. I, th I don't know if I mentioned in the podcast, but, but one of the things I say a lot to people coming in from out of market is Houston's two hours from Houston, right? You've got, um, you've got a sub market super far North called the Woodlands. And then you could go all the way, f f you know, down to Sugarland, and that's a long drive with traffic. That's a two-hour drive, um, and they're totally different talent bases, but they're both really good. They're both kind of the desirable talent, and there's a lot of um, office occupiers that choose to office in, in those submarkets. Um, but if you're trying to capture more talent, um, you know, having you know, there's some civil engineers that have done that. Lots of civil engineers actually. We have a lot of development going on, and there's a few that just have multi-site offices. They'll have, you know, three, four, five. There's one that even has like 10 or 12 offices across the city just to capture the talent in every kind of pocket. Um, and they're smaller, you know, there's no, you know, they're not taking a full floor anywhere. Um, they'll do three to 5,000 foot offices kind of all over the city and have, you know, 15, 20 people in each one. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and as far as the current market landscape is concerned, uh, what are some of the, I guess, the the uh the availability of certain product and then maybe it's this maybe what is 
so desirable at this point where it's, you know, wasn't maybe a year or two or three years ago? Yeah, it's, you know, that question comes up a lot. How's your market? You know, on paper, the market looks soft. Lot, you know, some institutional investors are afraid of Houston. We have, you know, historically high vacancy. Um, but when you really drill down, if you've got a nice building with nice move and ready space and gosh, if it's furnished even still, um, you know, I'm, I'm in bidding wars right now, even post pandemic for a 4,000, I've done it on a full floor deal. I've done it on partial floor deal. And now even on like 3,900 feet, there's like multiple offers on a move in ready furnished space. And so whenever you get something like that, concession packages go way down. So it's uh, overall, it's soft. There's different pockets of the city. Uh, You know, if you go just just west of downtown on I-10, you know, it's single digit vacancy there. Even though citywide we're at 20%-ish, you're inside of single digits um, just in that one little pocket because that's where everybody wants to be. It's where all the nice, new, shiny, cool buildings are and some mixed-use developments. And so uh, all the trendy things, uh, you know, that stuff pays off. Yeah, you you alluded to the furnishings within office. I remember when we had talked on our podcast, uh, you had mentioned that, and that was definitely an interesting fact. Here in in Kentucky, we uh, when the Louisville and the East End, we're we're seeing a lot of you know office condos, like a lot of smaller businesses are like seeking out these office condo deals, and I mean they're really really hard to come by uh, in our market. And you know I'm not sure if that's something similar in your in your area or anything like that, because I mean obviously it's a much bigger city, um, but. Yeah, that's a very suburban like mm-hmm. deal. And that's a very specific user, right? The type of person Correct. that, yeah. you know, that's that's the the mm-hmm. office condo is the epitome of like, I don't want to pay rent to the man. I want to own my own deal. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, they're stick built. They're not very modular. You can't reconfigure them easily. Sometimes you get a nicer one that's like a drop ceiling with steel, steel frame construction that you could reconfigure at some point. But, you know, small, it's a small company deal, maybe an insurance agent or something like that that wants to have equity in their property. Um for most of my clients, though, when they look at, you know, doing something like that or even buying a building, you look at the returns that most institutional office investors are getting. Uh, I mean, I think going in cap rates are like four to five percent on class A stuff, even maybe six if it's got a little distress on it. Uh, if you were to invest, if you're a business owner and, and you took that capital for the for the cash coming in and invested it in your core business, you'd probably get, you know, a seven to eight X return. Um Versus what you would on owning your own real estate, right? Most of my most of my clients, their cash on cash return for their core business is way better than six percent. So Absolutely. that's where like owning owning your own space just doesn't make as much sense. Um, but you know there there is demand for there. You know the office condo thing. I've done some of those. Yeah, uh, no, for sure. It's not the bread and butter for here, for sure. No, no, absolutely not. No, no, I just, I, I was interested to hear your take on it. But you also mentioned, you know, on the landlord side that you are, you know, starting to represent or you have represented uh, landlords uh, in, the, in the in the filling of space as well. Can you kind of touch yep. on some of the, you know, the when you start going on site and you try to try to identify ways that you can improve um, the, 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 the marketing or, or whatever really that is the problem with it, the, the landlord's, uh, approach, what are some of the, I guess the, the issues that you typically see in those instances? Yeah. A couple of things. One is your space isn't moving ready, right? The, um, the spec suite thing is really taken off. Uh, there's some owners, Howard Hughes company being one of them, they're building a ton of spec suites and those are very easy deals to do. Typically they're smaller footprint, right? Maybe 1500 to 3000 feet. Um, and you're dealing with less sophisticated tenants that don't have the stomach for build out. They don't have an architect that they generally work with that have their standard program. They kind of know, you know, those are the guys that say, oh yeah, I want, you know, four offices. I want seven bullpens and a little coffee, coffee bar area. And then a, you know, a six person conference room. 
And that's exactly what you get with those sort of things. Uh, and, and negotiating those is interesting from the brokerage standpoint, because, you know, the deal's the deal. There's not a lot of concessions. You can kind of get in, you can kind of do the deal. Um, and it, it's very simple in that side. Um, and so the lease up and you're, you're propping up your face rents with already doing the construction and you move that whole risk uh, from the process. So people love that sort of stuff. Justifying them to an owner is tricky because um, construction soaks. I'm sure everybody on here has a story about construction blowing up a deal right now. I could give you 20. Um, yesterday on a tour, even the Hughes guys were telling that Howard Hughes guys were telling us that, you know, build out not even from shell just to, to remodel into a spec suite used to call them, cost them 60 bucks a foot. Now it's over 80, 80 to 85 bucks. And we're not talking from shell. I remember I was in the business when like 45 to 50 bucks could take you from a cold, dark shell to a finished out office space. And now you can't even do a remodel into a spec suite for 80, which is crazy to me. So um, getting buy-in from owners uh, is tricky. And that where, you know, come, it's helpful to know your numbers, right? You talk about the, the speed to lease, how much faster those spaces are going to lease, how much, um, you know, you get the stories of getting multiple offers and competing tenants. You know, that's kind of every landlord's dream, right? To have people clamoring to get in their space. Who can take the smallest concession package or, or really what we're seeing work better um, on the landlord side is not even like having this race to the top of who will pay more, but who's going to sign the deal first. Here's the deal, guys. First person to sign it gets it. I've had some of those happen. Um, and I've even had granite properties. One of the, one of, one of the owners here, they do great. Uh, I had a situation where I was on the losing end of a kind of multiple, where there was a group that toured 30 minutes before us. And so the landlord was like, you know, I'm trying to be fair to everybody. Their, their group wanted it. They'll take it at what we asked for, just like you would. So if we can house your tenants for five months in some temp space, we'll build this exact same thing somewhere else in the building. And so they already had a fully negotiated deal based on the spec suite. It actually triggered two deals. It was a no-brainer. So um, getting some proof of concept. I don't know anybody on the landlord leasing side that doesn't like spec suites. I know some Absolutely. owners that are afraid to build them, but that's like, you just, you know, if you got into the real estate business to make money, then you have to be able to see the ROI on leasing that stuff up faster. Absolutely. No. And, and you, you even alluded to like being willing to accommodate or work with people when it comes to certain things, and especially like, I, I'd imagine it's not hundred percent common to work with someone, a building that, you know, fills up rapidly all the time. Some I'm assuming sometimes when they bring you in to a situation, there's some things that need to be tweaked in order to make sure that, you know, the, the space becomes a lot more attractive to potential tenants. And so, you know, I'm sure the willingness of the owner to kind of work with you and, you know, really understand what they need to do to get the, the space to where it needs to be so that it is attractive to a broad base of tenants is a, probably a big thing uh, that you, yeah, that you have right. to work with. Yep. And so we can get creative. If somebody tells me, you know, that I've had some really big owners say, we don't have the appetite for a spec suite right now. And so what I'll do is, you know, I keep a space planner on retainer. Um, she's a virtual assistant and I'll just take the existing floor plan and say, give me a modern office layout here. And in all of my marketing, I market that, right? I get a nice 3D plan drawn up and Revit or whatever she's using. And, um, and then I just put a little note in the floor plan that says, you know, sample brochure. This is what we could build. Almost build it as like, market it as like a spec suite that we could build. That's amazing. Yeah, because people are visual. So, I mean, providing that context, right. I'm sure is amazing. I'm sure it helps a that's lot right. with, yeah, that's so And great. 100% of the time, every every deal I've brought there, they've said, we want this. We want exactly what we saw in the brochure. Um, mm -hmm. That's exactly what we want to build. You know, when you start figuring out scope of work and stuff, they're like, yeah, we want it just like you showed us. Okay, great. Okay, great. <laughs> that saves us a lot of time, right? That's awesome. Yeah. 
So, so yeah. on, on the, on the investment side, and, and this maybe stems from, you know, uh, I don't, I, I'm, and I'm not too sure, I guess the level at which you're involved with office building investment, whether that's, you know, on the buy side or, you know, help dispos- disposition of, of office buildings as well. But, you know, if you could touch on a little bit of some of the things that, you know, but these buyers look out for, or, or things you need to look out for as you're looking at these types of opportunities, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. So the deals I'll speak to there, the stuff we're, we're not doing like the big institutional, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. million square foot. Uh, we just bought um, with, with a client buy it, um, but we're involved in now running the deal for him. It was a fully leased kind of one story of a flex building, had a small pocket of a warehouse that had a government tenant in it. Uh, and then there's another, like a second tenant in there. Um, and, you know, the big things we're looking at is, you know, the credit of the rent roll, having the, gov- the government in there, they're paying to work with, uh, but they don't miss rent payments, right? So um, that, was a, that was a big upside for the, for the buyer. Um, the property condition, you know, we looked a lot at what the, just how old the infrastructure was and what, what kind of re- replacements we're going to look at as far as roof, HVAC stuff, um, getting good property condition reports. I mean, it's nothing, nothing nobody else is looking at. You know, that's a pretty standard and any of us buying anything would kind of look through that stuff. Um, but the strength of the rent roll uh, has been super important lately, especially going through, you know, we've kind of had some turbulent times in the ability to pay rent business. And so come, you know, through the pandemic, who, who could still pay rent then, um, who still had clients, you know, we're like, you know, this building had the government and an insurance company, and those are both great. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. And you kind of, and you even kind of alluded to the, the construction cost because I'm sure office is probably one of the most capital intensive, you know, build outs, you know, I would yep. imagine maybe the, maybe the most, I, I, I'm sure between retail and, and, and office they're, they're up there. So I'm sure yep. that's part of it too. I mean, especially if, if, if a user turns over. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, everything's capital intensive right now. We got out yeah, on a, it was a freestanding metal building that was like 7,000 feet. I was trying to buy it. And I got, I think it went under contract for over $150 a foot. Two years ago, we could have built that building like for 90 bucks a foot. And now I'm trying to buy a 10 year old one that needed some work, had a little roof leak and I got outbid. You know, I would, I would think I was like 130 or 135, which was a stretch for me, but I had a tenant in tow so I could make the numbers work and I was going to be in it for an eight cap. Uh, and then, you know, they come back and be like, Hey, you know, we, we think you can close. We see, we see your kind of track record, you know, would you do like 150 something a foot? And I was like, no way. That's so crazy, man. And was it an owner occupant that was looking to buy it or was it similar? I guess they wouldn't share that information. I don't know. Yeah. yeah they didn't tell me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that's, that's that wanted just, it more than I did. Absolutely. No. And I've we've seen it here and it's happening really across the country. So it's definitely not an isolated incident by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah. One of the things I was curious about, and, and, you know, just to give you some, a breakdown of kind of the audience that we, we, we attract, I mean, we attract people who are on in all scopes of the, the commercial real estate landscape, brokers, investors, uh, bankers, insurance, people, lawyers, et cetera. But, you know, one of the, one of the things that I wanted to touch on on your end is related to your business development efforts in particular, because you've grown so fast on your own, as far as the, the rifle rifle real estate is concerned. Uh, I would love to kind of gain your insights on, you know, the the business development strategies that you employed to secure, you know, um, the tenants and and other office, uh, you know, owners or wh- whatever you would, pr- however you approach that particular process, because I think it would add a lot of value to the audience. Yeah. Um, so Mike Lipsy is who I got a lot of our stuff from. Um, and then I kind of take it a little bit next level with some more automated software, but 
you know, generally in, in the first session you'll ever take with, with Mike Lipsy, if it's a business development topic, he's going to say best database wins. Um, so that's what I found to be true. You know, coming up in the office tenant rep business is where I've spent most of my early career. You know, lots of stacking office buildings. And I would do it. You could buy lists. You could download lists from CoStar. You can all sorts of stuff. But I always found having really good, clean data, data was easier for me to work with. And so I just spent the effort, right? Um, Landon's a junior broker with our company. And he's, you know, I'm kind of setting him through like what my day would look like if I was him. Uh, he's on the call right now. And, you know, kind of you fill, you assume like eight to five will be filled with like tours, meetings, whatever, deal-related material. And so after hours, I remember early career with like, you know, kids would go to bed, wife would want to watch a show. And I'd be sitting there stacking an office building, looking up who the tenants were, who the contacts were on LinkedIn, scraping, whether, you know, wherever it was, finding out name and email um, and putting that sort of stuff into my database so that the next morning my call list was ready. And I had good info. I knew who I was going to reach out to. I wasn't just like, oh, who's responsible for your real estate? How much term do you have on your lease? I could call and be like, hey, I just, you know, if I closed a deal, I'd stack in a building, I would stack that whole building and market to them and be like, hey, I just represented one of your neighbors on their lease renewal. Love to talk about the concession package we saw. Um, and now, you know, now there's so many cool automation things. You can take that same list and just dump it into an automated sequence, whether it's with a outreach.io, Outplay, HubSpot does the automation. There's so many tools out there where you could kind of come up with your sequence. What you don't want to do is have it sound like it's a canned automated sequence, but scheduling those follow-ups and your, your touch points um, lets you operate at a scale that a lot of your competitors can't. Yeah. And, and you, you, the tech enabled piece is probably huge. I, I mean, the yeah, fact that you, 100%. yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and for those of you guys who don't know, I mean, I, I had a chance to talk to Terry on, on his, on the podcast and just the, the, the automations and, and the systems that he's created in his business is truly impressive. It really is. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's great to hear you say that because a lot of times, particularly when you first get started, you're just kind of aimlessly, shooting shooting in the dark a lot of times at least that's how i was i really didn't have much of a guidance of what to do i just was kind of getting out there but hearing yep. hearing that insight i think would be helpful to a lot of people so i appreciate you sharing that yeah but one so i, I guess as far as resources are concerned for those who want to learn more about you know the 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 office uh side of of the business what exactly do you do you have some you know resources or organizations or publications that you follow that kind of give you information that's pertinent to that? You know, I would get really good friends with some good interior architects that do corporate interiors. Um, I've learned a ton. I've been able to short circuit my learning through them. Uh, my friend Raymond runs Adventure Design here in Houston. Um, they just recently rebranded. It's just Adventure, but um, they've been great. They do, you know, they're one of the kind of the big four that do a lot of the office work in the city. They started also kind of doing a lot of tenant stuff. They have a landlord division. They kind of do everything now. But uh, he's now the the head guy. He took it over, bought out, and he's he's the he's the head partner now. And having a resource like that that I can test and text and ask questions to. Um, he and I actually did during the pandemic. We we're both sitting at home bored. We did a little live LinkedIn deal, just talking about the change of office, what pandemic stuff is going to change in the interior world. And so it's good to for me to hear, you know. What's stuff costing? What are people asking for? What's changing? What sort of densities are you seeing? Because um, that's also, you know, people look at, as an office tenant rep, they look at you almost as like their corporate real estate advisor. Um, one of the ways I've kind of marketed myself is like, hey, let me be your third party, like your outsourced corporate real estate department. So as you're doing this stuff, like, you know, I'm, I don't need to do like day-to-day -day facilities management, but 
if you want to talk like strategy in the office, I want to be able to speak to that a little bit and have somebody that's smarter than me that kind of filled me in and gave me some good talking points. And so, you know, the hoteling stuff, what are some good apps to use if you want to implement hoteling? Who can you bring in? Um, architects have been really, really helpful. Uh, that said, there's nothing that replaces your experience that you get by doing deals. Like by sitting in the room, taking a list of requirements that a company has, and then trying to find that in the marketplace and taking that deal from start to finish. Um, you just can't replace that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you could talk to those experiences with, with your other clients too. I mean, now that I've been right. in the business for a couple of years and you know, there's a lot of, you know, past clients that I can reference and say, well, you know, in this situation, this is what we did. And you know, maybe we did this and it wasn't necessarily the best thing to do there. So let's try to approach something a little bit different, Yep. you know? So, you know, it, and I think it helps build that, that trust when you can refer to the previous experiences you had to provide, you know, unique insights to your clients. But I, but I appreciate the, the thoughts there. Um, yeah, there's so, a, knowing, knowing your case studies is helpful too. There's mm -hmm. a group, you know, you're trying to, one of the things I talk about a lot that you can't really capture in a metric. There's no kind of lease analysis that can build you that can talk about the impact on your brand and your ability to attract and retain talent. I can find out from HR people what it costs to have an employee turnover to retrain them. But if you're trying to grow and you're trying to get top talent, we had a, we had a client, um, they got acquired national consulting company now. We did um, like a 4,000 foot lease for them in 2016. We put them in city center, which was one of the premier projects at the time. It was, you know, almost $50 a foot, big build out, awesome modern space. It was great. It's like the, one of the premier mixed use facilities of like the live work play. It's a really cool, really cool area, cool building. Um, we put them in there. And at the time, I think they had like 20 people when they went in there. Uh, now their Houston headcount is 160, right? So if you're trying to grow, uh, and you want to have an office that people want to come to, like we can help you figure that out. We kind of know where everybody wants to be. Um, and so that's a good, like, you want to talk about stretching for your office. You know, they were looking at like class B buildings and trying to do like a really nice space inside of a class B building and the Houston leadership to their credit fought and be like, this doesn't work in Houston. The class B buildings in Houston don't have all this like surrounding lifestyle stuff. We need to stretch and we need to spend the money here. Um, and as a broker, you know, it's a little bit selfish to be like, oh, I want to make this transaction value bigger. So having a good story of like, hey, I, I'm happy to represent you anywhere you want to go. I know sometimes it's hard to justify spending X amount of dollars on your rent, but here's what we've seen in the past with clients that have done this um, when they're in growth mode and there's a reason to do it. You know, at some point, maybe their, their strategy stabilizes and they go, go to like an A minus and just kind of do the, you know, slow and steady deal. But when you're trying to make a splash and get something cool, having a cool office space helps. Flip side of that, and as a good tenant rep, I would want to say this, like I have had one of my clients tell me taking on too much space is like the kiss of death. Um, he was the CEO of an oil and gas company that had a full floor. And in 2014, he almost took a second floor thinking he would grow into it. Company was in explosive growth mode. Well, if you follow the oil and gas market in 2016, oil hit $22 a barrel, massive downturn. The Houston office market went in the crapper uh, for a long time. It was very hard to do uh, to get deals done because the the rents were so low to justify the construction, and it was just kind of a mess. And he was like, "Man, I just dodged a bullet there." And so now he did like most of the private equity oil and gas guys go. He left and started again with like a handful of people, and so we got him a couple thousand feet of office. And he's like busting at the seams of it already, but he just kind of knows he's seen like, okay, I dodged a bullet last time, so he's being a lot slower to expand. So. 
Yeah, I know. And you're 100% right. I, I, I mean, and that's why having someone like you in, in their corner is so, so helpful because you have that experience that you can lean on. And now you could say you could provide those stories to them and say, look, you know, maybe in this situation, it's appropriate to really search out this situation. But, you know, this is also what happened in the past that I can refer to. So it kind of gives you two perspectives to look at so you could effectively make the best decision for your business. So um, yep. there's nothing that replaces experience, as they say. So that's awesome. For sure. All right. Well, so what I'm gonna go ahead and do now is I wanted to give you guys some opportunities to, to ask some questions. So we'll open it up to Q&A as well. We are live. So, you know, for those of you guys who are watching on social, we will be I'll be checking the the comments as well. But go ahead. Feel free to type away in the chat box and then we will read it off just to make it a little bit more efficient. Um, so, yeah, feel free to type away here. I'll check the. Uh, online. And then also I, I, another question that I had just just out of, as, as we're waiting for some some questions is um, if you could go back in time to when you first started in the business. So, you know, you just transitioned away from what you were doing before and now you got into the brokerage space. What is, I guess, one of the main insights that you'd like to compart to, to yourself to be able to, you know, shrink the timeline, as they say, for, you know, success? Ooh. Starting in the commercial real estate business, there's so many ways you could go. Mm. And it's so easy, especially if you're at a, a, a company with any sort of size to it that has a lot of deal flow. Um, I had to, I would have, I would have hung with my mentor longer. Um, we kind of ran out of prospects in the sub market we were in and it was very, I mean, it's great. Still one of my best friends, but I just would have found a way to work together a little bit longer. And also um, there's a book I read kind of a, the, the author called it his red velvet rope policy of like the types of clients that he would do business with. Um, I would have stuck with that a little bit longer um, or I would have implemented that a little bit sooner. Uh, I remember early on, there was a lot of like just complete time suck deals that were off brand and, you know, you're just, you're straight commission. You know, for me, I had wife, kids, family, like needed to make money. I was like, I'm not turning any deal down. I'm going to do every deal I can. Uh, there was a couple that were just massive time boobs that I would have, uh, would have probably been better served by ignoring or passing on. Um, and so that would be it. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And I've, I've faced that in my career. I mean, I've had deals that I've worked on for months and months and months and just never worked, never materialized into something. And, you know, I should have probably seen the signs early on, but I was just an experience. I just didn't know. Um, and I was, I was trying so hard to get things done. So yeah, it, somebody it, asked the name of the yeah. book. Uh, I'm going to yeah. have to find it. Yeah. No worries on that. Uh, Michael Ports, Book Yourself Solid. Michael Ports, Book Yourself Solid. That's great. So if you guys are listening, I'm, I'm going to add that to my list. Um, all right. So Mike asks, um, TI dollars have become a deal maker slash breaker for our market. What is a good strategy for convincing ownership to offer more to secure a tenant? Oh, man. Uh, I would love to know what market you're in because um, really TI dollars are just a deal breaker here. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know any deals that are made over TI. Charlotte. Uh, okay, Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a hot, that's a pretty hot market with lots of demand. Um, you know, one of the ways to get around it is get an owner that's good at construction or get your owner to get good at construction. Um, you know, it's one of those things that 
if this is what's screwing up a deal, like how do you, how do you become an expert in it? There's some owners in town that have like figured out they've got good relationships with contractors and they control all the work in their building and they're just doing turnkey deals. And so just remove that whole variable and say, we'll pay for the construction, whatever it is, get really good or get your owners good at writing good scopes of work. Um, and it'll, it'll make them a little bit easier instead of, you know, instead of offering more, I very rarely, very rarely go back to a, a landlord and say, we want more improvement dollars. I will go back and say, we want you to turn the key it. And I found tenants more agreeable to giving up free rent and to pay more rent to remove that risk, uh, which as an owner, that's like music to my ears. Like free rent and more rent is all, all good things. So what would you say, so Savannah asks, what would you say in the most productive way you build commercial clientele when starting out? Um, ah, why do I hate Dallas? That's a good, that's a good <laughs> one too. Um, most productive way. Uh, if, I mean, if you're not on the phones, I don't know how you're doing it. There's so many gurus that'll say, you know, we could get you leads or you could go to LinkedIn or all this sort of stuff, but at some level, you're going to have to interrupt somebody's time and see if they want to meet and talk about real estate. Um, so, you know, do it. I mean, there's, there's no real shortcut to business development in that stage. Um, that said, I would pick a specialty and pick a thing that you want to do to brand yourself and go all in on that. So if you're going to be an office tenant rep, than than own office tenant rep for a season. You can expand it. You know, I've I've grown into an office and industrial. We do landlord. We do uh, tenant rep stuff. We're doing some you know in, investment. Um, you can grow into other deals later. But for initially, when you're when you're super green, to have credibility, just learn thing one thing well and just iterate that over and over and over again. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, why do why do I hate why? Dallas? Um, we we call Dallas the city of forty thousand dollar millionaires. So you get guys that are fresh out of college, they move to Dallas, they go buy a seven-year-old BMW with a seven-year note um, that they'll be paying on, you know, for 14 years. And they, everybody wears suits to everything just because they can, and they think their sports teams are better than everybody else. Um, so Dallas is just, uh, it, it's trying to be something it isn't. Fort Worth is a thousand times better. Uh, and we have a better baseball team. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, a correction in the commercial industry. Are we talking about commercial real estate industry? Yes. So, so the question, just for the guys who are listening, uh, do you foresee a correction in the commercial real estate industry? Let's 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 move forward with that. Yeah, I don't know that the bottom is going to fall out of anything. Um, we've got you know typically commercial real estate's a little bit insulated from big booms and busts like that. Um, I think office is changing. Uh, I don't see office going away. A uh, word of caution to anybody that has a company with lots of office space is don't swing the pendulum too far. I have had clients and friends with big companies um, go like fully remote uh, and totally abandon all of their office and they're regretting that. It's hard to train, it's hard to recruit, it's hard to onboard, it's hard to mentor, and it's hard to succession plan uh, when everybody's in sweatpants um, on their chair on Zoom calls, right? Uh, another caution too, I've, I've I've heard of some companies moving their back office out of the office, like their accounting, their HR functions, that sort of stuff. And there's been studies that show like a lot of accountants now, corporate accountants in-house um, are doing two jobs. They went and got a second job. So completely second salary. And they just, you know, split their time between the companies. And when their companies say, let's go back into the office, 
you know, it becomes kind of a mess. So I, I don't see a massive correction. Um, I just, you know, I see ever evolving change. Yeah, no, that's, that's some great insight. So <clears throat> another question that was asked was what team members would you suggest are the best, such as a CPA, a real estate lawyer, a developer, et cetera. And if you've got a good buddy, that's a real estate lawyer and will give you free advice. Uh, that's excellent. I haven't found them. I have some very good attorney friends um, and I typically don't ask them to work for free. I say, hey, send me an engagement letter for this, this specific thing. Um, but that's great. Uh, team members, you know, I always liked having contacts that call on the same clients I do. Um, it's, it becomes a good referral source. One, one that's not listed that I would think about is uh, a good financial advisor that focuses on business owners. So I, I just know a ton of financial advisors. It's, you know, it's one of the few verticals in the kind of the fire insurance, you know, finance, insurance, real estate business. Uh, I've known a lot of people to go into that space. Uh, I've got a good friend from college that he, his book of business is like a million plus in investable assets, lots of business owner type things. He works hand in hand with the investment bank at the firm that he's in and does a lot of big commercial transaction deals like that. And that's a great guy for me to know, right? That because I can service his clients and he can service some of mine, right? And on the, on the landlord side, we've got some very high net worth individuals that we work for. And as they start estate planning and that sort of stuff, I could say, look, you know, if you don't want all your money in real estate, here's a good guy to talk to. And so you can send, send referrals back and forth. Absolutely. That's some great insights. Uh, question. Uh, how do you think the pretentiousness you spoke on Dallas having impacts on the market here being Dallas? Uh, I don't know that translates. I think it's just, you know, the market's already normalized to, to the pretentiousness that's there. Um, <laughs> that's funny. No, I, it's, I like the, I like the healthy rivalry that you guys have. Um, I went to, I went to Arizona state and Phoenix and there's like a healthy rivalry with their university of Arizona. So we're always giving, yeah. giving each other crap, you know? So I mean, the sad fact, like Dallas is crushing us on corporate relocations, right? Yeah. Um, if you're a company and you want to get the benefits of doing business in Texas and you're looking at Houston, hour from the coast, we had Hurricane Harvey, massive flooding, super hot, super humid, um, you know, rain, floods, all sorts of stuff. That just doesn't, and, you know, no real metro transit. Mm -hmm. And then you look at Dallas, which is like Dallas, Fort Worth, it's massive, two big airports, no mm -hmm. flooding. They get, you know, pretty mild winters. Uh, I mean, on paper, it's just better. So that's why you get, you know, more people going to Dallas than Houston, but we still catch more than our fair share. Absolutely. Uh, so from a corporate real estate, you know, I, I have some very successful broker buddies in the Dallas Fort Worth market. Um, and I've even got a guy that left same firm I was at and started his own thing uh, in that market that's operating under my license right now. And so, it, you know, I mean, it, as much as I love to mess with Dallas, I think it's a great real estate play for a company. Absolutely. Definitely. That's very, that's very, uh, you know, noble of you to say, right? That's right. <laughs> there you go. All right. So John asks a question, uh, any suggestions marketing a less desirable office building, et cetera, uh, not ideal sub market, older asset, et cetera. Yep. Spend the money to make it nice. Um, there's no, you know, just like there's no shortcuts in business development as far as picking up the phone and calling, like you're going to have to spend the money to make it, uh, nice and desirable. So, you know, the, the not ideal submarket usually that comes with some security concerns. So like answer those security concerns, 24 seven security, walk into a car, fence lock, controlled access, parking lot. Um, you know, it's going to, it's going to cost money. Usually those are the, whoever bought that is looking at some sort of value add play. And so you actually have to add the value to make the play 
uh, older asset, make sure that the, you know, modernize it. Like the, the bones of the building can be modernized. You might not be able to change the efficiency of the building as far as your floor plate size, but you can make sure that, you know, it's not too hot, it's not too cold. Um, tenant amenity lounges, I've seen some of those guys putting in. Um, maybe you don't have the, the density in the daytime population to justify like a hot cafe, but you can do like a grab and go with like the video monitor thing. I've seen people put that sort of stuff in, find ways to amenitize it. Um, you know, it, if it's a smaller building too, you can, you can offer things like signage. There's some, some buildings that we're working deals on right now that they have 10,000 foot floor plates. They're pretty small. And if you take a full floor that they're four story buildings, the landlord will give you signage. So now you're a 10,000 foot tenant and you can have a full floor and get your sign on the building um, versus taking, you know, half or a third of a floor plate at some stuff down the street. They're going to pull the lever on that building because you get the full floor branding. It's kind of a cool play for a smaller tenant. That's great. Covered right, so parking man. too. I don't, I don't know what market you're in, John. Uh, here in Houston, if you can offer covered parking, I mean, I drive a black truck and it's hot, right? It was 104 yesterday. It was miserable. So um, I just have decided like I'm never going to operate somewhere where I don't have covered parking to the extent I can control it. Absolutely. No, that's, that's definitely a fair assessment. So um, Amanda asks, uh, are either you, can I reach out to either of you gentlemen for future questions? Do either of you being willing to be a casual mentor as far as reaching out for questions? I know I'm receptive to it. Obviously Nick, I'm sure is too. I I, I don't know yeah. what the, the whole, uh, you know, mentor thing looks like, but um, I, I would definitely be open to at least answering any questions. Always happy to hop on a call and just share whatever insights I can. Obviously Nick is much more experienced than I, so he's probably going to be able to share a lot more insights, but. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know your resume. I just know my hair is grayer. Yeah. you're. <laughs> well, no, I, is, I can tell Which you. is a crazy thing you. to think about. Uh, you know, it's funny. I remember when I got into commercial real estate, I was, in, I mean, I was later a career, but still, still youngish. I was young thirties. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, you know, below average competitive CrossFitter. Uh, and so like, I just, you look at my brokerage pictures from like early career. I just had to update them all. Cause I was like, man, that kid looks like he's 11. Um, and I can tell you now, like having a business owner title and some gray hair and being able to complain about, you know, looking at the cost of college from all this, like, you're peer to peer now with a lot of the business owners, like it does get easier. And so that goes back to like being super specific on your specialty. Like if you're going to be younger and in the business, find a reason why somebody that owns a business and gets sold to all the time wants to talk to you. If you know, if you're the expert in something, then be the expert in something. Yeah, no, that's, that's some great insights. And yes, um, happy. I mean, happy to have, you know, I've, I've had a ton of people pouring to me over the course of my career, happy to, you know, informal mentor, whatever, if we want to meet Savannah, I think you're in Dallas too. I'm up there a good bit. Um, well, I'm in Fort Worth, so he'd have to make the drive, but happy to connect up there. And I know some really good guys and girls in that market too, that, um, probably happy to visit with you. Absolutely. So, and, and for those of you guys who are listening, yes, this, this will be available for, uh, this recording is, is being recorded. So we will be post posting this on all social platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts, you know, really you can access it anywhere. It's gonna be very hard for you not to find it. How about that? Um, awesome. Let me check the other message boards real quick to see. Okay. I mean, I think, I think you answered a lot of all the questions, man. So, I mean, I great, I greatly appreciate your time as always, Nick. Um, 
Sure. For those of you guys, we like I said, I run a podcast called the Commercial Real Estate Academy as well. And Nick was one of our guests on the podcast and he provided a lot of great insights. And if you guys don't, if you guys want to check it out, you should definitely do so. It really was a great, great episode. But as far as, you know, if people want to learn more about you, if people wanted to, you know, potentially do business with you in, in Houston, uh, what's the best way for them to be able to reach out? Yeah, our, our website, riflecre.com, uh, we'll point you to anybody. Uh, we're still kind of updated. I need to update the team section, but uh, that's the best spot to find us. I mean, my, you know, in the real estate, I've made my, in the real estate business, I've tried to make myself easy to find. So um, that's a good spot. I mean, Instagram, uh, where else are we? I don't have a YouTube channel yet. That'd be fun to do. Um, Twitter, I had to get it off of. It was just too much of an echo chamber. Um, yeah. With, with elon trying to buy it i was like oh maybe i can re-engage like, nah, just no time oh my and the pro gosh. my problem with twitter too this is a good like just free advice for people coming up in the business like network outside of commercial real estate we are the worst about you know pay it 500 a year join this organization and you get all this mentorship from these people no you don't all you're going to do is you're going to go to lunch once a month it's going to be unnecessarily fancy at a country club you're going to have to put a suit on you're going to hear one of your peers talk about stuff you already know and you're going to meet other people that are like peers, like at meeting peers in this business is great, but I, you know, you're not going to make it very far. This is just for brokers. Anyway, you're not going to make it very far if you don't meet clients. And so instead of spending time and we'd like to give ourselves awards and I'm the, you know, well, I got a co-star power broker. I got, you know, landlord rep of the year with NAOP and all these, <clears throat> like we love to give ourselves awards and sit around and tell us how good we are. Find something outside of this industry to get involved in, to meet people. Um, it'll just serve you a lot better. Yeah, I, I, I could not agree with more with what you just said as well. I mean, I, you know, I think one of the first things you should do in particular when you're first getting started is to try to find something you're passionate about, like, and get involved on some board or, you know, some yep. association and, and, and surround yourself with people who also have a similar interest and passion, because that's the connection point that you can establish, especially if you're not from the area, you know, if you're newer to the market for some reason, that's, in my opinion, one of the best ways to get started. And obviously what you mentioned earlier about the business development side is also crucial, but. Yep. For sure. Awesome. Well, Nick, we greatly appreciate your time. As I always, as I said before, uh, you did provide yeah. a lot of great insights for those of you guys who are, who are tuning in. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, uh, obviously we would greatly appreciate it. If you could like and subscribe, it makes a huge difference. Uh, for those of you guys who are on the call right now, feel free to come back and engage. We do this on a bi-monthly basis and we share insights or we invite people to share insights on a variety of different commercial real estate topics. So again, thank you all so much for stopping by. Nick, thank you so much again and we'll see you all next time. Yep, thanks guys. See you guys. See you.